Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is a phrase that has kind of worked its way into our conversation in recent years. You hear it a lot on talk shows. You read about it on social media. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Facebook. uh, Various commentators. The phrase is this. The War on Christmas. There's even a book by that title that warns of kind of a liberal plot to ban Christmas, or at least saying Christmas. As a result, uh, Christmas lovers have been called on to boycott every business that doesn't use the word Christmas in their advertisements. You know, you can't use uh, Merry Christmas you have to say something like happy holidays, or you might just end up on their list. But on the other hand, you can't use happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, or you might end up on the enemies of Christmas list. There is even a watchdog organization out there keeping track of what they call retailers that are naughty or nice. I mean, for example, there was a whole long list of those that they said were naughty, because they were open on so-called Black Friday. And then there were the good ones that stayed closed, so we could all stay home and stuff ourselves. But to tell you the truth, I'm I'm a little bit confused about this, because all of my life I've heard people complain, first of all, that Christmas is way too commercial, and that it's only about the money. And now the same people, it seems, are complaining that uh, the retail outlets, outlets are not using the name of Jesus to market their clothes or their toys or their power drills. But I really don't think we can have it both ways. Uh, the fact is, I think that there are certain companies out there that actually use some pretty proper discretion when they, they actually do not associate their product with Christmas. I mean, do you really want to watch a football game this afternoon that had an advertisement that says, Celebrate the birth of Christ! With a Bud Light. <laughs> or how about Seasons Greetings from Shiner Beer. Now, in other words, I have absolutely no interest in engaging in what I would call a war on Christmas. After all, we need to kind of remember what the angels said uh, when they appeared at night in front of a bunch of awestruck shepherd boys. Luke 2, 14. You all know that verse. Glory to God in the highest uh, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. After all, even though Advent is kind of the uh, winter Lenten season, the time where we kind of pause and reflect, it still ought to be a time of peace. It ought to be a time of joy. It ought to be a time to give glory to God. It ought to be a time when we can actually express a certain amount of goodwill to other people. The fact is, uh, we don't live in as Christian a world as we used to. I mean, most people that you actually encounter today really do not follow Jesus. In fact, you want to read something scary sometime, read the book called Atheist in the Pew, which describes how many people actually sit in the pew in various churches on Sunday and are about as far away from Jesus as you possibly can be. Now, the proper response to that is not to say, well, then that makes you my enemy. I'm going to put you on my list. See, the proper response to people who don't yet know Jesus is to show the same love, the same acceptance, the same goodwill to them that God has shown to all of us by sending his son Jesus Christ into this world so that through him we might have life. 
So in, in this current series, you know, Mending Christmas, uh, we're looking at the readings that have been read in the church, the Christian church, for centuries, and we're going to kind of consider how we can better approach Christmas, how we can not necessarily mend Christmas, because Christmas doesn't need any mending, but really how to mend our attitudes towards the season. And today we're going to look at Luke 3. I just read to you a little while ago. It's all about John the Baptist, uh, who is a prophet and a preacher. He's really one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I mean, who else can get away with standing out in the middle of the field, uh, eating bugs and honey and wearing a camel skin tunic? I, I, some days I'd like to dress like that and go stand out in the field like that. I wonder how many people I could bring in. What do you think, John? One or two? <laughs> well, he drew large crowds, and he had a lot to say about hypocrisy. He had a lot to say about religiosity. He had a lot to say about repent. Uh, he had a lot to say about good works. However, his primary ministry was very simply to announce and literally to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Now, initially, John had a great big following, and I'm sure if you put some guy in some crazy outfit, stood him out in the middle field, know that he was munching on bugs and nuts, you'd draw a pretty good crowd. And there's a story in John chapter 3 in which some people, some of his own followers, came to him and said, Hey, John, this other preacher you've been talking about, this Jesus guy, he's starting to get all of the attention. He's baptizing people now, and everybody's starting to follow him. Now, John's reply very simply was, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then he uttered these classic words. You can read them in John chapter 3, verse 30. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Now, if you ever want to sum up the life of a Christ follower, and listen, I'm going to assume that you're all Christ followers here today. If you want to have a motto for life, what better than to say, he must increase, I must decrease decrease. See, there's a sense in which our job, our purpose, to do the same thing, especially, I would say, at Christmas time. But the fact is, with all of this craziness that seems to be going on around us in these last days and weeks and months and years, it's kind of easy to miss, if you'll pardon the cliche, the reason for the season. It's easy to get lost in all this external stuff. We have the decorations up. You know, have we done all of our shopping? Have we bought all of our food? Have we all, all of this kind of stuff, uh, you know, to the point that it's easy to miss the beauty and the simplicity of the entire Christmas message. Now, the message is very simple. Again, you all know the verse, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To the Christian message is that God loves this world and he calls us to live at peace with one another. So I'm telling you, so rather than feeling the need to grab the greeter at Walmart by his little blue jacket and shaking him good and hard for, for saying happy holidays to you instead of Merry Christmas, or instead of shouting out some mean invective at the barista at Starbucks for daring to put your drink in a plain red cup, for heaven's sake. Maybe we should go back to God's word and say, are there some things we can do to increase the presence of Jesus, not only in our own life, but in the lives of other people during this Christmas season? Well, from our text, we have three different things. This is the first thing, and that is just to make a path. Make a path. Luke says, actually quotes, and by the way, Luke is quoting from um, Isaiah chapter 40. 
He says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And those of you who are familiar with Handel's Messiah know that that's part of this too. But in ancient times, when a king was coming to visit, uh, he was going to tour his kingdom, his dominion. He would send a courier out to every little village to say, prepare the roads. Now, the Greek word for prepare for the way or roads literally means prepare a beaten path. It meant the king is coming to this area, and if there is no road there that exists for him, create a road for him, feed a path so he can get to you. Now, I'm suggesting today that we ought to do that same thing, that we make kind of a path in your life, a path between you and your friends, you and your relatives, you and people you come into contact with wherever you may be all week, a path between you and Jesus so that ultimately Jesus can cross it. Now, I often tell people, you know, build a bridge and get over it already. I mean, I say that to a lot of people who are just complaining way too much. But, you know, literally what we as Christ followers should be doing is building a bridge between us and that other person so ultimately Jesus can cross over that bridge into their lives. We are to beat a path to Jesus so others people can be there. Now, I'm kind of suggesting you make this kind of path in your life uh, between all kinds of people that Jesus can travel freely on. And I'm saying that because, and it could be true of some of you today, the paths in some of our family relationships are cluttered with debris from the past. Uh, they got weeds and rocks and thorns and thistles. They got stumbling blocks in their in their families to the point that nobody can get through. Now, I don't want to ask you to raise a hand, but uh, does anybody here know some people that are just really hard to get through to? They're just really all littered with junk. See, at Christmas time, we're around people with whom uh, we carry some baggage. Uh, we have some resentment. We have even ill feelings towards some people. But I'd encourage you to make a path. A path of reconciliation. Maybe there's some people you need to kind of get right with during this season. A, a path of mercy. I mean, if God gave you mercy, can you not extend a little mercy to some other people? A path of peace. Can you finally kind of build a bridge and get over it and start to be happy with other people? A, a place of forgiveness. We talked about this months ago, about how we need to learn not only about the forgiveness of God, we needed to learn about forgiving other people, we need to learn about forgiving ourselves and just kind of moving on in life. We need to make room for God to enter our relationships, to make room for God to bring blessing and joy, not only into our lives, but that it becomes kind of contagious with all the other people who are around us. Now, it's hard to do this, by the way, because you've got to do this by actually reaching out to other people. You do it by reaching out to Jesus yourself. Jesus, I'm going to be in this place today. I'm going to go to... I don't know, Walmart, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a zoo. They're going to make all kinds of nuts in this place. Oh, man, give me peace. Give me patience. Give me graciousness. Give me the heart of Jesus. If there's some way I can be helpful to somebody to bring a smile into their face, let me create this path, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'll even be able to share Jesus with them. little minor example. Starbucks last week. The lady's bill came to something like $4.13, and she peeled off four $1 bills. And as she was doing, I reached in my pocket, I had a lot of change, and I pulled out the $0.14 or whatever it was, and she just, she kind of stood there, she says, I think this is all I got. I I tapped her on the shoulder, turned around, 
And I said, here. And I gave her that 14 cents. And she, her initial reaction is, what's this all about? I said, I just have the extra change. Enjoy it. Enjoy your drink. And she almost couldn't believe it. But then she actually smiled and said, thank you. And I said, God bless and have a Merry Christmas. And I'm sure that took her aback, too. It's almost as if nobody had been nice to her lately. I don't know what had been going on that morning. But that maybe opened up a little path. Maybe just a little bit of a path. See, the more you prepare a path between you and Jesus, and the more you prepare a path between you and your friends and your family, the more opportunity you have for Jesus to be glorified among all the other people around you. Here's the second thing, and that is to set something straight. Verse 5, again, you recognize this, I think, from the, I think this is part of Hanel's Messiah, too. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. It's a fact of life that there's a great deal of pain and suffering in this world. I mean, if you don't recognize pain and suffering in this world today, folks, uh, you got your head stuck down something. You, you just, you're missing it. But, you know, we're, we're sometimes pretty good at looking the other way for about 11, 11 and a half months of the year. But there seems to be something about Christmas that calls our attention to pain and suffering. And, and as a result, it's often easier to be a little bit more generous during the Christmas season, simply because the opportunities uh, present themselves more frequently. After all, what do we have? Angel trees standing in the lobbies of probably virtually every Christian church between in Palo Pinto, Parker, back to Tarrant, to Dallas County, whatever. And then you can hardly end it going to a store without the clanging bell, the red kettle. You've got every opportunity in the world to suddenly become kind and generous. Now, I'm certainly, I'm encouraging you all to take advantage of, of as many opportunities like those for generosity as possible. And no doubt, even within your own small circles, and maybe even certainly among this circle that we call St. Mark's in Mineral Wells, there exist some people for whom the road is currently crooked, it's currently rough. And we are called on to make crooked roads straight and rough roads smooth. At a former church where I pastored, I had a, a young father. Uh, we were talking after church, and I asked him, I said, so well, how's all the Christmas stuff going? And he told me, he said, well, there are two words, Pastor, that I would use to describe Christmas. And I thought, okay, what are they? He said, the words are panic and guilt. He said, it's panic because he didn't know how he was going to provide a good Christmas for his children because the money just was not there. And it was guilt because he wanted to provide better for his family, but he just felt he didn't measure up. Now, you could suddenly start spouting all your Christian pontification here and just tell the guy, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. I mean, Christmas is a whole lot more than the presents under the tree and on and on, but... You know, the truth was Christmas did not look very bright for this man's family. And through our church, we were able to help him have a little bit better Christmas than he was expecting. Now, the truth is we probably all know someone or maybe a family or two that are in situations like this. And the truth is almost all of us are probably in some sort of a position to be helpful at least a little bit. 
You know, as you look around, you can see a lot of people who are just traveling uh, rough and crooked roads. And I'm not talking just financially. Uh, there are people you may know whose roads are rough because they are lonely, lonelier than they've ever been before. For many people, holidays are not meant to be enjoyed because they are the first Thanksgiving without their spouse. There's the first Christmas without their children around. Their road's rough because they've experienced failures of relationships. And this Christmas is going to find them celebrating all by themselves. But you know something? You, you can probably make that road smooth for people like that. You could straighten that path out for them, perhaps in some way. I mean, every one of us probably, if we fought long enough and hard enough, knows someone who's hurting a little bit, who needs to be reminded of God's love and mercy and compassion, maybe who need a little tenderness, who maybe just need an arm around the shoulder, who need a little, you know, a little hug and a God bless you, who needs to be given just some sort of a reason to hang on to hope a little bit longer. And that's just to look for a chance to set things straight. After all, that's what Jesus did in our lives. Well, there's a third thing, and that's to turn on the light. Most of you do that every night. You turn on your Christmas lights. Everybody can spot your house now. Well, how about turning on the light in other ways? Luke says, and all mankind will do what? See God's salvation. Now, the key word there is that last one, salvation. That's God's message to the world in a very single word. The story of Christmas is not about condemnation. Christmas is not about guilt or judgment or punishment. The story of Christmas is all about love. I don't know if we ever sing that song. Love, love, love. <laughs> That'd be a great Christmas song. That's, that's what it's all about. God's love for people. Now, I mentioned John 3.16 before about how God so loved the world. But does anybody know how the next verse goes? Verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. See, salvation is the message of Christmas. And you and I need to shine a light on that message. Now, the headline shouldn't be that we're not going to shop at whatever store until they put Christ back into Christmas. In fact, I'm coming to the opinion that maybe we need to put Christ back into more Christians. Give them a little bit of a dose of that. See, the headline should not be that we, or the headline should be that we are announcing the salvation of God to a world that's desperate to be saved. That we're preparing a path, that we're preparing a path of reconciliation, a path of forgiveness, a path of peace, a path of goodwill toward other people, so that as people, we're doing what we can to make crooked roads straight, rough ways smooth. That's the message of Christmas. So it's not our job to strong-arm businesses into doing things our way. In fact, I'm not so sure that the church has ever been called on to be an economic force or even some political force. The church's job, first and foremost, is what? To proclaim and demonstrate the love of God in Christ Jesus to other people. And if that's true of the church, it's also true of you and me as well. So you can literally pick up where John the Baptist left off. You can be Boyd the Baptist for a while, or Vic the Baptist for a while, or Ruby the Baptist for a while. And you can go out and say, Jesus, I want you to become greater in my life. You will increase. I will decrease. Give me the opportunity to make a path for others that they might find you. Give me the opportunity to make a road a little bit smoother, a little bit straighter, 
for people who are suffering. Give me the opportunity to shine a light on you and your goodness and your love and your salvation. That's what the text says. What I want to do now is something a little bit different. I want to help make this a little bit more personal. And I want to talk about what I will call the big event. It is also going to be known as the $5 challenge. I'm going to ask you to bless someone else today with $5. Now, you all got $5 with you, don't you? That's okay, because I do. Would the ushers come forward? Would the ushers back up there? I want you to give every last man, woman, and child $5. You've never come to church before when the church gave you money back, have you? It's always facing the sheep in this direction. <laughs> now, I'm going to explain how this works. I want you to give everybody $5. But now before you get so excited and looking at somebody else and saying, where are you going to take us this afternoon so I can spend it all? I'm going to tell you what you can't do with it. And I'm also going to tell you what you can do with it. Okay. Okay. Here's what you can't do with this five dollars. You got it in your hands. Here's what you cannot do with it. You cannot spend it on yourself. You can't pull into the coffee shop and say, a medium mocha latte, please, and spend it on yourself. You cannot give it back to the church. In other words, you cannot put this back in the offering and say, oh, our church is close on money, I'm just going to give it back. I don't want to be taking the church's money. I don't even want you to put an extra $5 in the plate today to cover the $5. Don't do that either. You can't donate it to a charity. Which means don't be taking it and just dumping it into a Salvation Army bucket or whatever. Don't find some other charity that you've always kind of liked and give it to them. I'm just saying, don't donate it to a charity. And another thing is, you can't give it to another church member. You know, because if I gave the $5 to Nancy, wow, the Cole family has $10. No, no fair. We can't be doing this in the McGrath family, or Lene's going to have about $75. No, no fair doing any of that. So if you can't do those things, what can you do? Well, you can use it intentionally to bless another person outside our church. Now, I don't know how you're going to do that, to be quite honest. I know what I did the last time I ever did this. You could actually combine your money with others and bless someone even more significantly. Lene, you could take every $5 from one, two, three, four, five people with you. There'd be, what, 30 bucks right now, and you could make a significant difference. Chuck and Betty, you could, you could do that. You could. You combine your money with other people to bless someone even more significantly, or use it to make more money to bless even more people, but not gambling. Now, I'm not sure how you would do it to make more money with it, but some of you are pretty cagey. I don't know what it would be. Now, after you've done this, we want you to share your story. And you can do it in a couple ways. You can email me and tell me what it is you did. 
My email address is up there, drbarrycold at gmail.com. This is what I do with my $5. I'd love to hear it. I'll share it in church. Or maybe I'll ask some Sunday. And if you do not know what to do with your $5, and I've only done this one other time in church, and it was a significantly larger church. It was a significantly larger amount of money, which is okay. Um, If you don't know what to do with it, just put it on your refrigerator and pray about it and wait for the Lord to speak. I know some people that this $5 bill hung on their refrigerator for months. And they see it every day because they just didn't quite know. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I got, I've gotten emails already like six, seven, eight months after the fact. I said, Pastor, finally figured it out. Finally figured it out. Be creative. Some of you are far more creative than other people. Don't know what you're going to do with it. Now, you might ask, why not a charity? It's because you, you are missionaries. Put it to work yourself. Don't let somebody else do it for you. Throwing it into some, I'm not opposed to the Salvation Army kettle, but you're that say, here, you guys do my work for me. You do that work yourself. I think you're going to find it's going to, make, it's going to be interesting. Some of you will... Probably use that $5 almost immediately. Some of you may get it done by Monday afternoon. Some of you are not right now. I'm sure these young people are like, oh my gosh, you just gave us $5 and now I'm going to have to take it out of my pocket and give it away. Yikes. You're already starting to come up with some ideas. Some of you probably already got an idea of what you're going to do. Now, $5 may not seem like a whole lot of money. But if you added 20 to it, it would. Or 45 Or 95 I mean, I don't know what you got in your pocket. I don't. But what we talked about today, very simply, was what? You know, three different things to do. To make a path. This might just be an opportunity for you after you, let's say, walk up and give it to a stranger, and they would ask, why would you do this? Now, the answer is because we have a goofy interim pastor. Although that might lead you to more discussion. I don't know. Well, it's because God calls on me to prepare his way, and this is just my way of wanting to bless you. Now, they may look at you like you're completely nuts and snatch the money and walk away. But you may actually have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about Jesus. Who knows? Maybe you can straighten out a little bit in some people's lives. Maybe $5 doesn't seem like much. But to some people, $5 is a a meal at McDonald's. It may be just what they need to make the next amount they were looking for. It's a chance to turn on the light, a chance to speak about Jesus. I should have brought a bunch of these out. I completely forgot about this, but I have these little things called divine plans. I think I've used them here in Bible class already. But the last time I did it, I took my $5 and put it in my little plan of salvation. Because when I give it to them and they ask me why I do it, I say, just read what's here. 
That's all I'm asking. If you got questions, I'm going to be sitting over here for a while. Now, there are a lot of people that they won't come over. But who knows? Who knows what God might do through you? We pray that this big event really is 